स्थापकाय धर्मस्वूपिने अवतार वरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णं वंदे जगद्गुरुम so in the last class we were studying the 20th shloka of the second chapter of bhagavad gita which speaks of the negation of the six changes or the six transformations which we see in any of the phenomenal existence whether it is animate or whether it is inanimate is a six process of transformation through which the entire phenomenal existence is undergoing let us read this shloka na jayate mriyate va kadachit nayam bhutva bhavita vanabhuyah ajo nityah shashvato yam purano na hanyate hanyamane sharire the soul is neither born najayate nor does it ever die mriyate mriyate va kadachit never it dies nor does it start existing after being born nayam bhutva bhavita vana bhuya ajo nityah shashvatoyam purana ajo is eternal nitya immortal shashvata that's it is ageless and purana means ever aging never old it remains the same nahanyate phanyamane sharire it's never destroyed this body is destroyed so in this loka as we were studying in the last class the six transformation jayate asti vardhate viparinamate apakshiyate nasti the six transformation jayate it means to be born as if from non existence you come to existence that is jayate asti as existence i will be continuing for some time and as i continue to live first there is a growth vardhate and then the growth stops there's a transformations going on in the middle age viparinamate and then in the old age the decay process start apakshiyate and at last there is as if annihilation from existence as if again i'm going to non existence so these six transformations is denied in the self so the next question comes okay i understand the self is not destroyed but what's the result of such knowledge 
Once we get established in this knowledge, the result is it enables us to get rid of one of the one of the results. There are many such results. One of the results is that it helps us to get rid of the idea of one being the karta, the doer of action. That in Vedanta, again and again, we find that it has been ascertained that the real me is neither the karta nor the bhokta. I am neither the doer nor the enjoyer. Very interestingly, even the modern neurology, the modern psychology ascertains to that fact that I am not the doer. So that's the idea which has been reiterated, reinstated, established in the next sloka. That after saying that there is no sixth transformation in you, now it will confirm to the fact that I am not the karta. When I am doing something or I am agent of doing something, just as in the war, Arjuna is supposed to slay his enemies and Krishna is there as an agent, as if saying him, slay. So neither you can be the agent nor you can be the doer. The real self is beyond that. So that's the idea which will be spoken of in the 21st sloka. Let us read the sloka and then we will go to its meaning. Veda vinashinam nityam enam ajam avyayam kathansa purusha partha kanghatayati hantikam Veda avinashinam nityam Veda, to know. From the word Veda came from Vidhatu, to know. So here, Lord is saying, Veda, know. What know? Avinashinam nityam. The self to be avinashi, indestructible. Nothing can destroy it. Nityam, it is eternal. Yaenam ajam. Aja, the anything to be born is jayate that which is never born is ajam so ajam means that is never born means if it is ever existence the question of birth never comes so that's why it is ajam it is beyond birth and it is immutable avyayam so it's actually reinstating all the quality, all the attributes which has been spoken of in the previous sloka. It is being reinstated. Now it will speak the result that how can that such a man, O Partha, cause slay or cause another to slay? Kanghatayati Hantikam. Neither can you be the slayer nor you can be the agent beyond slaying. So here, as it is a battlefield, so the question of slaying comes. But in general, this loka actually by the word slay is actually, uh, it means any action. That I cannot be the doer of any action, nor I can be the agent behind the 
doer of any actions. If any someone I'm impelling as if I'm impelling others to do, I cannot be the impeller, nor I can be the doer. So that's the idea which we find is being established here. So even in modern psychology, we have discussed in various occasions that it is an established fact that it is not the self, but it is the mental modules which determines our actions. So what are these mental modules? From the very conception of life, even if we take the theory of evolution as the basis of our discussion, what's the first evolute is the microbes. When the microbes came into existence, with that what happened? The non-local consciousness as if got associated, localized in that microbe body. And now it starts thinking, I am this psychophysical existence, a small micro, that's what I am. The sun has got reflected in a very small ripple. And that reflection thinks that, and this reflection along with the wave thinks that this is what I am. It forgets that it is the sun. And then what happens as you as we all identify, even a micro, in a small microbe identifies with the body-mind complex, immediately what happens that to sustain it, because my, my existence is my body and my mind. So I have to, if I have to sustain myself, I have to exist, I have to always nurture this body, nurture the mind. How is it possible? Yes, anything which is favorable for its existence, I am drawn towards it. Anything which is not favorable towards existence, I have the fight and flight response from it. So these, the, from the very beginning, this stimuli response conditioning is responsible for building up these mental modules. There are innumerable stimuli response conditioning through the entire process of evolution. There are so many stimuli response conditioning with particular uh, circumstances in life. We have particular stimuli response conditioning. And all those have as, as if got stored up in our psyche. They're all there in the collective psyche. That's why even a small child is born, you need not have to teach him how to suckle the milk. It's innate. Why those mental modules are there? It is something which is a collective effort of the entire consciousness, of the entire uh, animate existence. It is there as the stored impression. It is there. And these constitutes the mental modules. Now, as we were discussing previously, that in our psyche, in our chitta, there are innumerable such mental modules. And at a time, only one particular mental module gets activated. They're all lying as if in the subconscious mind. At a time, only one gets activated. 
Now, who decides that which mental module will get activated? Even the modern psychology says that there is no one who is taking the decision. As per the external circumstances, the mental module which has to respond to that circumstances that get activated. It's automatically it gets activated. And it takes the decision as per the stimuli of the external circumstances concerned. But at the same time, it takes the, it, this, it response is fixed. It will respond to that stimuli in a particular way. But here lies the delusion. It, at the same time, the mental module will make us feel that it is I who am taking the decision. All the mental modules has a fixed response. As we told, the entire world of advertisement is based on this idea that it is not we, it is our mental modules with a fixed stimuli response conditioning that decides giving us the sense of the possessorship. It is my decision. I owe this decision. But actually, it is a mental module which is decided. And here comes the delusion, the idea of the karta, as if I am doing. Even from the modern psychology or the neurological point of view, I am supposed to be detached because I am not the karta. As per the circumstances, as per the situations, a particular module is getting activated and it is acting as per the situation or as per the circumstances. This only the language is a bit different. The idea is same. Even in Bhagavad Gita, you will be surprised to know in the 28th sloka of the third chapter, they speak of this idea. What's that sloka? Tattva vittu mahavaho guna karma vibhagayo. This next line is very important. Guna guneshu vartant iti matva the difference between science and spirituality lies here. Both are based on fact. But the, in science, the fact is something which has nothing to do with internalization. Yes, a fact. But it has nothing, I have nothing to do to internalize it so as so that it can overhaul my personality. In spirituality, the fact has to be internalized so that it overhauls your personality. You become a transformed person. So what here it is saying, the same thing, the idea of mental module is guna guneshu vartanta in this loka. That one who knows the truth about the gunas and action, guna karma vibhagaya, one who knows. So what, what happens to him? He knows the distinction of guna guneshu, that guna results in guna. Means the external world constitutes all the objects of these senses. They are, they are, what you say, they are constituted of some gunas. Those gunas, when are interacting with the mind, that the mind and the senses, certain gunas will be prevalent. In the, when they get activated. So gunas in the form of mind and senses are occupied with the gunas in the form of the objects and senses. A particular situ situation, a particular stimuli is going to bring a particular type of transformation in the form of response 
in your mind. That's the guna, guneshu vartanta speaks of the idea of the fixed responses of innumerable mental modules. But here comes in Bhagavad Gita, the idea of internalization. It doesn't remain just as a fact. If that's the fact, then why should you get attached? So that's why in Bhagavad Gita, in the 28th sloka, how nice it says, iti matva, knowing this, na sajjate. One should not get attached. Know it for certain, the mind is acting as per is at its fixed stimuli response conditioning. And that also has been decided by the mental module, which has been activated, and that as per the circumstances. As per the circumstances, a particular module gets activated. Once it gets activated, it has a particular stimuli response conditioning. It is going to respond that way. What can I do? I'm not going to fight with it. The thing which I don't owe, why should I get identified and just try to decide what to do, what not to do? Try to be detached and just see the working of the mind, not as a possessor of it or with a sense of ownership, but with a sense of detachment, with a sense of witness. So now the question comes, if that's the fact, then where, where the, the question of getting engaged in the war comes? It means that the mind is acting in its own way. I am the witness. So I'm just, as a witness, the question of taking part in action doesn't come. So realizing that I'm, an, I'm supposed to renounce all the actions. So here we will find that what is being spoken of is not renunciation of the actions. As per the situation of life, as per our responsibilities, as per our likings, our temperaments, our choice, we are in a particular profession. We are in a particular state of life. Maybe it's in a family life or as a monk, as a sannyasi. And even when we are in a family life, so many types, different types of responsibilities, different types of professions we have. It's not renouncing all those things. We are placed as per our. In Bhagavad Gita, the God will say that I have created the four castes based on the various temperaments. In the fourth chapter, there is a sloka which speaks of that. So we are not by birth uh, placed in a particular class. In the modern society, it has become more palpable that as per my liking, it has gradually taken me to my destiny. I am in a particular profession. And in that profession, I'm exposed to the external world, constantly interacting. And there, this question of guna, guneshu, vartanta will be there. My mind will be constantly responding to the external circumstances. I need not stop that. As per my responsibility, I have chosen a particular profession and in that profession, my mind is going to bound to act in a particular way. We all know that, that I, the one who am as a father or as a mother, when I'm dealing with my child, is not the same person who is in the office. You will find that you are a totally different person. 
or when you are with your friends or with your colleagues or when most probably you are in socializing you are not with your children you'll find that how our total behavioral pattern changes totally changes i find that even that old alumni groups when we were in schools so in colleges those are if you are if you somehow get related to them you find that as if we have not grown we are as if the same uh, one who were as students along with them our mental modules takes us to that state so we it's our mental modules as per the circumstances changes our personality it's quite okay but as otherwise we can never take care of our responsibilities if i say that i am not going to respond to the stimuli as per the situation is concerned i just renounce run away from the society that's not the thing which bhagavad gita is speaking of gita is an unique scripture where we find god is preaching in the midst of the battlefield in the midst of action no question of renunciation here abhyudaya and nistreya should go hand in hand my ultimate spiritual goal is in no way to be compromised at the cost of abhyudaya the social upliftment both has to go hand in hand i cannot simply run away from the situation so if that's the case how can i practice spirituality how can there be contemplation in the world of action how can the spirituality be interspersed in the world of so called secularity it is actually nothing is secular everything is spiritual if i can change the orientation let the actions go on wherever in life in whatever situations i am placed if i can develop a sense of detachment then even in the midst of action you are practicing spirituality your your endeavor is going on and even when you get established then also there is no question of renouncing previously you were endeavoring to keep detached when you get re- when you go to that realization you get established in it now that detachment becomes spontaneous you need not have to uh, fight with your mind to be detached it's just detached in any situation of life as in bhagavad gita the lord will be using the allegory of lotus leaf padma patram ivam bhasa just like a water in the lotus leaf the lotus leaf remain is always in water but the water cannot drench it it just falls off as droplets it can never be drenched so be like the lotus leaf in the in our worldly day to day dealings so that's the idea which bhagwan is actually indicating when he saying that kat kanghatayati hantikam that you are not the doer as you are a born kshatriya you are being ordained as per your profession to take part in the war and that also you are on the side which has decided that the righteousness should win and 
here now instead of thinking that you are going to slay and after slaying you are going to rule that is going to ru ruin you because now in this situation it is your kith and kin this particular situation has brought you in such a situation you are in a uh, moral indecision you don't know what to do but know it for certain even if it's not your kith and kin the approach should be not that it is i who am going to kill them and after that it is i who am going to prevail as the emperor not with that idea that after killing that you are going to be the ruler that's a that's a something which is going to happen as per the cause laws of cause and effect but it is not for that you are just doing what you are supposed to do being detached and even if you have to have a sense of that amnes have the idea that it you are the instrument in the hand of divine is the divine who is making you as per making you means the you as the psychophysical existence as per your temperament is using you to play a specific role in the huge teamwork which is going on it's a divine teamwork going on i have a specific role to play as per my uniqueness which each one of us has particular uniqueness the lord's creation is wonderful as a human being we are so monotonous if i have to create something you just see the particular car model before the number plate has been given before it has a particular painting all look alike you cannot distinguish one from the other <clears throat> in uh, our life we will find a particular brand are so look alike but god's creation is wonderful each and every element in god's creation has its own uniqueness what to speak of our mind mind is so varied our mind our feelings our emotions just something as small uh, as physical and as small as our thumb impression can distinguish me from the entire world isn't it a something a wonderful thing which the lord has done in the name of fanaticism in the world what we are doing we say that lord oughts us to believe in such and such way beyond that is not the world is not what lord intends we as if want to you make uniform everything regiment everything and we forget we are denying the god god's creation speaks of this variety uniqueness in each and every individual variety is the signature of god if you want to find the signature of the lord <clears throat> you find it in the variety and this speaks that lord has created this variety why so that each and every one has a particular role to play in the huge vast teamwork which is going on yagya which is going on of which sometime i am not aware of that what's the ultimate purpose of it let us let us not waste our time in trying to decipher the god's will let me be satisfied with my role as a nimitta as an instrument as per my uniqueness god is using me to take part in this divine game in his own way 
let me be an instrument in that. And for that, always I have to be the witness that I am not the psychophysical existence. For the time being, I have been deployed with all those things. I that if you are deployed with a particular type of uh, weapon, you can use it in that way. You cannot use a sword as a missile. You cannot use a missile as a sword. So if you have been given a sword, you have to use it as a sword. If, you t- if it's a missile, it has its own way. So uh, with what type of mind, what type of body, what type of temperament we have are the weapons we have. It's not me. And I can use them in just that particular way. That's what Lord has decided. That's my limitation. I cannot go beyond that. I cannot imitate others. That with the sword, I cannot just think the one who is just ejecting the missiles, projecting the missiles. With the sword, I cannot do that. So that's my limitation. Lord has given me this. I have to do whatever I have to do. I have to do with this. So with our psychophysical, all our uniqueness, we have to act. But knowing well that these are the weapons in my hand. It's my mind, my senses. I am not it. I am something apart from it. And the real me is that ajam avyayam, indestructible, unborn. It ever is. And it, knowing very well that you are not that, now you can act as an instrument, not thinking that the, this, the thing which has been given to me is something which is... Uh, I'm identified with that, or I owe that. I'm an owner of that. No, for the time being, it has been given. Again, as per my evolution, it will be changing. The mind's patterns will be changing. I will be playing some other role. So this sense of detachment is the thing which is very important to be practiced in the entire Bhagavad Gita. That's the idea which has again and again been reinstated from the various paradigms, from various angles. This idea, we will find even in the lives of the great uh, spiritual illuminaries, is how nicely it has been exemplified. I will just indicate a, a small incidence in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna was very fond of one of his nephew. His name was Akshay. In those days, he got chance in the medical college. He was quite a brilliant student. From that, uh, from that remote village, he came and in Calcutta, he was, he was on the final years of his medical studies and he suddenly died. Such a brilliant uh, uh, young boy. And when he was dying, Ramakrishna was beside him and He's relating that when he died, I, I saw as if the soul left the body. And I was in ecstasy, I was laughing, just seeing the soul, it's not the death, it's the body which is lying here, the real self has actually left the body, just like a disused garment. That's the sloka which will come in the next sloka. Like a disused garment, it has been uh, left off. So, he was in ecstasy, he was laughing. And then the next day, he's how nicely relating. But you know, it's a blood relation. Suddenly, over my, so I was overwhelmed with 
the sense of separation. I felt my heart has been, has been wrung just the way we wrung a wet towel or a wet napkin. Like that, my heart was wrung. And then I felt that I who am have renounced and can f- have a feeling of such intense agony. How the worldly people who are so attached, they feel. The entire thing, you will find a very interesting thing. What Sri Ramakrishna is saying is everything as a witness he is doing. Just see that when he passed away at that time, because suddenly that spiritual illumination was something very prominent in his mind, he saw the soul left the body. The next day is again that as per his position in life, his his nephew, his having the blood relation, the sorrow came, agony came. And for everything, what he's writing is as if a witness that it's quite natural with the human body as when you are incarnating as a human being, you're having all those mental modules, they will act. But here Ramakrishna is, there's a difference, is not identified with them. He's relating as if the body-mind is going through all those things. And that's why he could relate that for me, that who is so detached, do feel it. How much intense those who are identified with it can, may, uh, can, can really feel that pain. So <clears throat> these type of incidences show that with the realization, doesn't speak of anesthesia or inertness. It doesn't revert us back to something inanimate. Many may feel that if in realization you get detached, you will be <clears throat> becoming something like inanimate or some like thing, something like a veggie, which has as if no response. You just put a knife on the veggie, it no, doesn't react. So do we become like a veggie? No. We don't become insensitive. We don't become something uh, which is inanimate or we have not been as if we are not in a state of anesthesia. We are fully aware of what's going on. We intensely feel the things, but at the same time, the sense of ownership, the sense of identification is not there. I know that I'm separate from it, witnessing. Just the way we witness a tragic scene in a movie. (coughs) When we are watching a tragic scene in a movie, we know it's a movie going on. We pay for it. We buy ticket, we purchase TV ticket and go and enjoy the tragedy. We know what's going on is nothing which is going to affect my life. And then the tragedy becomes an enjoyment and entertainment. In this life, tragedy is tragedy for us because we cannot take the virtual reality as virtual. We get so identified with it and that makes the entertainment a matter of tremendous agony. If a tragic movie can be an entertainment, the tragedy which is going on in our life can be an entertainment. It needs that spiritual courage to develop that detachment. There's a story, wonderful story in uh, the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna, the master of these allegories and 
parables. He's saying that a farmer, a farmer, he had only one son. And one day in his dream, uh, he saw that he had, he's a king and he has seven beautiful, handsome son as their prince. All the prince were there, seven of them. They were highly capable and they were really handsome. And when the dream broke, when he came out from the dream, he saw that his wife is weeping, crying. What happened? The wife woke him up and told, you know, our only son, he passed away. He had some, uh, there's some disease and because of that he passed away. But this man was just simply uh, sitting without showing any sorrow. And his wife really felt extremely disturbed that how can he be so uh, insensitive that his son has passed away. There is no expression of any emotion. And she asked that how, was, how can you be so hard hearted? What he replies is something wonderful. I don't know for whom to cry. To just for this one son or just for the seven sons. Just now I was dreaming. The seven beautiful, with the, with, the, with the moment my dream, I woke up from my sleep, my dream broke. The dream is no more there. I've lost those seven childs. Their children, they are no more there. So shall I cry for the seven children or for this one child? So it's a wonderful idea that we have the three states of existence. Deep sleep, dream, and this waking state. The experiences in the states are changing. They contradict the experiences in the dream state, contradicts with the experiences of the waking state. They're not the same. In the waking state, in this story, I had only one son. In the dream state, he had seven sons. These are all contradictory, contradicting. So neither these experiences, so what I am dreaming in the dream state, my present and my waking state is untrue. And that never comes to my mind. And when I wake up, I know my dream is untrue. My dream contradicts my waking state. My waking state contradicts my dream. So as for the experiences are concerned, the moment our level of awareness changes, all the things changes, experiences. So what is true? The question comes, what is true? The one who is experiencing it is I who was experiencing in the dream. It was a farmer who was experiencing in the dream that he is the king and he has seven beautiful prince. It is the same I when he wakes up, he feels that his only son has died. Can you deny the experiencer is different? No. It is the same experiencer who in the dream was having a total different experience is again experiencing something totally different when he's waking up. The experiencer is the one who is never changing. Experiences are changing. So with the experiences, uh, we are uh, with our different plane of existence, with our different circumstance of existence, our experiences changes, but the experiencer remains the same. And if that's the fact, why get so much attached with the experiences? Know it for certain, as per the level of experiences. Even a drug addict, we know 
after the addiction, he is on the addiction, he is in a total different world. But he also knows the same thing that comes back from his addiction, his altered state of consciousness is something uh, which doesn't speak of the denying of his own experience, the experiencer. It's the same. Everything else can be denied. That why was what I was experiencing that altered state of existence is not true when I come back to the normal plane. But what I cannot deny is that this experiencer. So why not develop a sense of detachment? If all the experiences are something contradictory, which has nothing as a standpoint, which can say that this is absolute truth. The only standpoint is the the Swata Siddha, the only proof is my, the one who is the experiencer. Why not get identified with that and try to be detached and go on in your journey without trying to be, uh, try, trying to hold on to something or trying to run away from something. Seek not, avoid not, proceed. And that's the idea which we find in this sloka. Bhagavan is trying to reinstate, establish, so that Arjuna also becomes more and more aware of this principle. So this idea that what has been already spoken in this sloka, in the next sloka, the indestructibility of the soul, the immutability of the soul is expounded by an illustration. We will go to that illustration. What is that illustration in the 22nd sutra, uh, sloka which is spoken of in the second chapter? That's Vasangsi Jirnani Yathavihaya Navani Grinhati Naroparani Tatha Sharirani Vihaya Jirnan Anyani Sangyati Navani Dehi. So even as a person casts off the worn out, the old cloths, Vasangsi Jirna, the cloths which has worn out, Jirna. Vasangsi, the, all the cloths, yatha vihaya, you throw them out. Navani grinhati, you purchase, you make own some new cloths. Navani grinhati, naroparani. Similarly, tatha sharirani, just in the same way, when the body gets worn out, just like a disused garment we throw, and we again take a new body. Anyani sangyati. Navani Dehi. So, with this example, Krishna is bringing to the mind that don't give importance to the psychophysical existence which you are seeing as your contender, and that too, they are your teeth and kin. They are just the external form. The real essence that remains, this goes on changing. As in Bhagavatam, a very nice example has been given that you know various pieces of thermocol are flowing down a stream. They're all moving just uh, in a flow with all sorts of chaotic motion. And those chaotic motion of those thermocol particles suddenly brings two particles together. They separate. Again, they get united with some other thermocol particle. And that's what we find that it's so random. 
It's just the flow is going on and all the thermocol particles are randomly getting separated and again getting united with whom they also don't know. So life is also like a flow. Like this thermocol pieces. In one life, we say he's my relative, he's my Keith and Keen. In the next, we all also don't know, we forget who was in my past birth. Again, the new one goes on. So this is going on again and again. For the time being, the one whom I think my Keith and Keen, the next part I don't remember also, who, who were they? So that's the thing that once your body, like the disused garment gets, becomes worn out, you renounce that, you take the new body. So it is the act of giving up the old body or the entering the new body. In this act, the self does not undergo any change. It is, it remains the same whatsoever. So in the Vedanta also we find that what it speaks of, that Brahma through its inscrutable Maya. This Maya is a very important word, inscrutable Maya, creates a body, gets identified with it, and regards itself as an individual or embodied soul. That's what is happening. The non-local consciousness is getting identified with the body, with something limited. This question comes, why it has to be so? In the very first paper read by Swami Vivekananda, the paper on Hinduism in the parliament of religion, it's not the first lecture. After the first lecture, which made him famous, a few days later, he was uh, again, he had to uh, represent Hinduism by reading a paper on Hinduism. It's a very, if you get chance, you go through that lecture, the paper on Hinduism by Swami Vivekananda. It's in the first volume of the complete works. Even in internet, you can search and you can get, if you search in internet, the entire complete works of Swami Vivekananda is there. Anyone can refer to it, download it. It's just free. And there in the first volume, in the very, very, in the first section, this lecture is there, the paper on Hinduism. There we find Swami Vivekananda is defining this ignorance, Ajnana, in a wonderful way. That in all the religion, we find that so much of energy is wasted in finding out the answer to the question that why this creation, if God is perfect, he has no need, why he has created? We always create out of some need. If you have no need, why should you create? If God is all perfect, he's ever fulfilled, what was the need for creation? And we find a lot of answers, they may be poetic, but sometimes we find it doesn't appeal to our reason. Swami Vivekananda says that Vedanta gives a very bold answer. What is that bold answer? That somehow the perfect appears to be imperfect as, as it became imperfect. Why? He says we never go for all those poetic and discussions. Our simple answer is we do not know. It has happened. Why it has happened? How it has happened? We do not know. Then how do you know that it has happened? Because we, there's a way out. I know that this limited individuality, this sense of limited individuality can be just 
amputated, can be removed. You can just ampute yourself from your psychophysical existence and get established in yourself from where you find everything is a mere projection. You can do that. So as I can move out of it, I can understand that from that state I came. To give a common example, when you are dreaming, someone and uh, your dream breaks, you come out of the dream, you know, oh, it was just a dream. It was not real. I am not that dream. But can, if I ask when you started dreaming, can you ever answer? We don't know when we started dreaming. Why you started dreaming, can you answer? I don't know. I don't know why that dream came, that all the silly ideas came to my mind. I don't know. The similar way, just here also the answer comes, that I don't know. That I, when I, the things, the silly things which I was dreaming, that never happened to me in my life. I was in a crisis, I was in a danger, I was in a nightmare. I was having a nightmare of all those horrible things. And then I find that I was, I am just uh, quite happy with myself. I wake up, I'm happy with myself. In the meantime, from where it came, I don't know. So here, Swamiji is saying, that's what is ignorance. The simple answer is, it has happened. As I can come out of this situation, I can again get established. Just when the dream breaks, I know that I am perfect. Similarly here also, I come out. So that gives me an impression that I somehow I went into that state. How I went, I don't know. So ignorance is that, agyana. Somehow we came into this dream state where we get identified with this embodied individualities. May it be a microbe, may it be a evolved human being. So it is, this, because of this, this is the inscrutable Maya. How this ignorance happened, we don't know. But from that, this body comes into existence and we get identified with the body. Just in the dream, when you are having the impression that, that the farmer's example we take, the poor farmer was thinking he's a king. His body is, is as, if, has, as if changed. He's having very expensive garments. Is he really having a body? No. Nothing is happening. So he's creating his body and he's getting identified with that body, not only creating. So similarly here also, when we say in Vedanta that everything came out from Brahman and get identified just the way in the dream we do, we create so many new bodies and in, we get identified with them. Similar thing has happened in the spiritual sense that it is a Lord somehow is appearing as many and he has got identified with the many. So why it happened, we do not know. And the once this identification, as we again and again say, with, with this identification with the body happens, then the question of evolution comes. Get a simple story, the simple fact of that experiment in the Petri dish, we take so many times, we have related so many times, that in a Petri dish, uh, there is some fluid and through a microscope, I am seeing, I see that many randomly moving particles. And the teacher says they are not inanimate particles. Some of them are, of course, dust particles, but among them, some are animate, living, they are microbes. Do you want to see? You want to, want to have a proof? You will, the teacher will now put a drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish. 
and among all those randomly moving particles as if inanimate dust particles a few you will find has gathered direction they are moving towards it and instead of nutrient if you put some box in there they will move away from it so what has happened because of the identification of the body we develop these likings dislikings attachment fear and uh, this fight and flight response so all this comes once we get identified and we are going from various from one body to the other body why because of the ignorance one thing has happened that i get identified with the body but something behind the body is saying you're eternal that is being echoed through the body and mind which is not eternal but i take the echo to be the real i take the whole body from where the echo is coming that's that as if is saying i am eternal just when you're standing in front of the mountain and you're shouting that same your voice comes back and you think as if someone from the mountain is speaking similarly here also the same thing happens someone is saying that you're eternal and that comes back as an echo from the body mind saying you're eternal and you feel the body mind is eternal and at, at last you find it is not and now the entire endeavor is going on in this name and the process of evolution what is going on to realize that voice in something which is never possible the microbes are conglomerating there is a division of labor so that i can cope up with the environment in a better way and we are evolving that's how the biology says we have evolved to realize the impossible which is never possible we are trying to do that as if through eternity and that speaks of the evolution and this evolution is cyclic it's not linear as a human being we have developed that capacity to realize the fact that it is a futile attempt to realize the perfect in the imperfect you can never do that now you have to be detached and the renunciation starts here from that realization so what's the realization i'm already perfect somehow i been i am deluded that i am this body mind complex and was trying to find perfection in it and that's resulted in this entailed in all the biological evolution it cannot go on even in modern science we say that after human being if anything has to evolve it has to be extremely inanimate that is the artificial intelligence robots you can never really think of evolution beyond the human being once you have developed that idea that you are not the psychophysical existence the evolution has completed it has completed a cycle it cannot be linear it has completed the cycle what's the cycle that i am the self because of ignorance i thought myself to be the body mind complex and that entailed in all the biological evolution and it took me to the point where again it made me realize that oh i was deluded by the ego this attempt to realize the eternity in something which is flowing is impossible and i again detach myself and get established in my own self till then this is the process which goes on vasangsi jirnani yatha vihaya 
again and again. So many attempts we are doing. Throwing out the worn out ground net, taking a new one with the idea, with this, I'm going to stay through eternity. Again, it's worn out. It's gone. So many times it happens. I go to the shop, I buy something. I'm so fond of it that even when it has got worn out, it's so sometimes it becomes so difficult to just leave it. Others pose on pointing. This is quite old. Have a new one. I become so attached to it. At last I have to throw it. And again, I go for the new one. Again, with the same idea. This is the thing. Oh, I like it so much. As if it was made for me. I will take care of it. I will just make it as, uh, as much as possible that I will uh, not allow it to disintegrate, to get damaged. But it, the, the nature's law is such, it is going to be worn out. I have to throw it. And it goes on till that realization comes that you are not it. And nothing needs to adorn you. You are already perfect. You are beyond all these so-called attributes. And then this process stops. And till then it goes on. That's what the Lord is indicating. So during this state of self-forgetfulness, the true self, the true nature of the self never changes. It's just like the sun, for the time being, it get gets hidden by the cloud, but it never loses its splendor. It's just like the mirage. It cannot be drenched, that mirage, huge mirage you see. Can you drench even a single sand particle with a huge reservoir which you see? No. Through all these changes which is going on, the self is never affected. You cannot drench it. You cannot drench even a single sand particle. That's the idea will be again stated in the next sloka. So we'll go to it again in the next class. And then when we discuss, we will go through that slokas again in the next class. We will find the ideas are as if being repeated. But in scripture they say, Shastreshu na mantranam jamita asti. What is that? In the scriptures, we find so much of repetition. But there is no sense of redundancy. That why should they, this meaning, there is no meaninglessness. You should not develop that it is all meaningless. Why are they repeating so much? Because the scriptures are never tired of putting across the same message again and again. Because our minds are such that even after hearing something, uh, so we find that we are, it has not registered at all. We forget. This forgetfulness is the state of our existence. Sri Ramakrishna, one very wonderful allegory. What is the state of our mind? The village pond is full of scum. A village Woman, uh, woman, lady goes to wash her di- uh, this all the utensils or dishes. And that's what was the practice in the olden days. So as the pond is full of scum, she will go to the uh, near the pond. She will remove the scum. The clear water becomes visible. She cleans her pots, her dishes, and then she again uh, returns back. When she is returning. Even before she has reached her home, the scum has again come, came back and covered the pond. So our mind is like that pond full of scum. All these discussions is just like removing the scum. 
and we all understand that well we, when we did the discussion was there the water became as if transparent as if our mind was clean but again in our day-to-day activities we find this scum comes and covers so till we can really get rid of the scum once for all this has to go on you have to remove the scum there's a very nice uh, conversation between Ramakrishna and his guru Totapuri. Totapuri one day told that you have to every day polish the brass vessels. Otherwise, it loses its shine. There will be a quotation, a, a coat will form over it. It loses its shine. Sri Ramakrishna immediately replied, wonderful, to his own guru, he replied, But what if the brass gets transformed into gold? The gold never has that coating, it never loses its shine. So what it means, till the realization dawns, till we get spiritual, that spiritual realization, this process of Chitta Shuddhi in the form of repeating the same truth again and again, so that has to clear my mind that every day cleaning the brass vessel has to go on till it becomes cold. So that's what we are doing. That's what the scripture is doing. That's what we will be doing as long as we are studying the scriptures. So again, in the next class, from the next loka, when we enter, we will find the same ideas will be reinstated. The scripture is like the mother. Just the mother, the way is never tired of saying the same message again and again to his children. The children get agitated, worried. They revolt. The mother is never tired because she knows that's the only way the truth has to get registered in the child in the child's mind, and that will do him good. So she's never uh, bothered how the child reacts. She goes on doing the duty. That's what the scripture is doing. The like the mother repeating the same truth in various ways, so that we get gradually established in the truth. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Again, we will continue uh, with the study of Bhagavad Gita from the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.